Welcome to the Breath Magazine podcast. Learn more about Breath Magazine and sign up for our newsletter to receive the latest news and updates at our website, breathmagazine.com. And now for today's episode. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Ephesians 2.1. What we're going to look at today is the idea of culture and the fact that the scriptures tell us that we are aliens and strangers in this world. You know, um, let's first of all deal with the idea of culture. Culture is defined as the ideas, customs, and social behavior of a particular people or society. And you know, we talk about culture when we talk about travel. You travel from the States to say like Paris, and the people in Paris speak a different language and have a quote, different culture than what you see in America. And uh, that's one of the points of travel. You know, people make a big deal about visiting different cultures and the way that people eat, the way they dress, the way they talk, the way they go about their lives in living in this world. Well, the Bible depicts two different kinds of cultures of people in the world, the culture of darkness and the culture of light. Darkness does have a culture to it. And that's what we're going to explore, first of all, in Ephesians 2.1. But while you're turning there, let me just uh, bring to you John 8. You know, in John 8, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and they're speaking, the, the Pharisees are saying to him, we have Abraham as our father, you know, in defense of some of his preaching. And Jesus responds to him and says, you're of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. Now, when you unpack that statement, I mean, it's a pretty provocative statement. Jesus tells the Pharisees, who are God's chosen people, but they're not born again, that you're of your father, the devil. And not only that, but the lust of your father you will do. The lust of your father you will do speaks about how they'll go about fulfilling the lust of the flesh or fulfilling out or filling out a type of culture of darkness. Now, we see that also in Ephesians 2.1. Let me read that to you. In Ephesians 2.1, Paul's writing to Christians at Ephesus, and he says, And you hath he quickened, reading from the King James, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time passed, meaning when you were dead in trespasses and sins, you walked according to the prince of the, what? the prince of the world, prince of the cosmos, according to the prince of the authority of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of unbelief. So what you see is more of an unpacking of what Jesus said. You know, those of the world are of their father, the devil, or the prince of the cosmos, the world, as it's translated in English, and the less of your father you will do, where in time past you walked according to the prince of the authority of the air, the spirit that now works or animates the sons of unbelief. That animation is the outworking of what we see in culture, the culture of darkness. The thing is, the body of Christ has a different culture. Listen to Peter in 1 Peter 2.9. Speaking of Christians, Writing to Christians, Peter writes, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy 
nation. Now get that. Get that and just analogize that to travel to different countries. Because we go to different countries today to find out the different cultures. And Peter writes, hey Christians, you are a holy nation. A peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you from darkness into his marvelous light. The thing is, the kingdom of light has its own culture to it. Being a Christian is just not a matter of making a decision at some church somewhere and just saying, well, I'm a sinner, just forgiven, and you just go about your business. No, the kingdom has a culture. And that's one thing we're going to explore here in this message through the scriptures. Now, starting out, let me say this. Let me, uh, let me go to 1 Corinthians and kind of engage your thinking for a minute. Because there, Paul in two places in 1 Corinthians says that you were bought with a price. Meaning that you're not your own. You might have thought that you were your own in the kingdom of darkness, but Paul makes it plain that when you come into the kingdom of light, you're not your own. You are the Lord's. Now listen to what he writes in 1 Corinthians 6.20. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That kind of begs the question, how are you going to do that? Glorify God in your body. That type of glorifying God in the body is what inculcates culture, meaning that you're going to start doing things that you weren't doing in the world while you're in the kingdom of darkness. As a Christian, you're going to start doing some things. Your outward life is going to be materially different from the culture that you came from, even though you might be living in the same geographic area. Now, What drives that? Listen to Jesus. He says in John, I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I seek not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's one thing that drives or animates us. What pleases the Father, the will of him who has sent us. Remember at the end of John, Jesus is resurrected and he speaks to the disciples, said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So even though we're in the world, we're not of it. We are a peculiar people. We are aliens and strangers, and that is brought to bear when, uh, through Peter again, let me read this scripture. Once you were not a people, meaning that you were in the kingdom of darkness, Once you were not a people, you're just like everybody else. You're not peculiar. You're just in this kingdom. But now you were God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Now let's sit on that a minute and just think about it. Beloved, I I urge you as strangers and aliens, meaning that you are a peculiar people and you abstain from the desires of the flesh, meaning that the world is what? Pursuing the desires of the flesh that war against the soul, 
But you as the peculiar people abstain from the desires of the flesh because you are what? You are wanting to do the desires of him who sent you. That is God the Father and his Christ, Jesus. Now what this takes is the renewing of your mind. It is not, as we said, because it's preached all the time, you know, make a decision for Christ, you know, and go about your way. No. Paul says in Romans 12:1 that you be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that involves renewing your mind to the new culture that you're in, that you are part of a peculiar people. Listen to how Paul writes it. I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies... And this involves a culture, you know, what we see with our eyes of other people uh, engaging in this as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Or you might say, which is your spiritual culture. You're offering your bodies to do things that you wouldn't do in the kingdom of darkness, but you're doing it because you're part of a holy nation. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't engage in the culture of the world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is, get your mind on the things that are above where this culture emanates. So that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, let's go through some of the things, some of the marks of this kingdom culture. The first one is church. Now, that sounds very simplistic, but let's sit back and think about this a minute. In today's world, you know, and I'm preaching in America, there's not so many people that go to church anymore. Church is a mark of the kingdom culture. Church is, a, uh, is an outward manifestation or an outward act that you do as testimony that you are part of this peculiar people that's been created in Christ. Hebrews 10.25 says, The writer says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. And in church, what, are, what, what is church supposed to be? Because, you know, a lot of times we just go and it's almost, it's almost like theater. You know, we go sit in some theater seats and listen to a preacher and at the end we applaud him and then we go home. That's not really what's contemplated in Scripture. Scripture contemplates that church is a family gathering where members of this peculiar uh, people, the holy nation, look out for one another. Watch out for one another. There's no loneliness. There's no isolation. It is a family get-together. No one is left behind. And the preacher is not so much a preacher. He is a shepherd, making sure that the flock is tended and make sure that none of the flock is lost. That is, that is the scriptural view of church. That is the cultural view of church in the Bible. What's another mark of this, this culture of light that we're in? Well, one is worship. You go to the kingdom of darkness and you, so, you don't see too much worship in, unless it is the worship of demons or the worship of idols. In America, we have the so-called secular society, but there is a worship of self. Now, 
<clears throat> so we worship the Lord and we do it outwardly. We do it as part of glorify God in your bodies. That is part of the culture that if people look upon us, they should see us doing. And it should be unapologetic. You know, uh, a lot of people shrink from being cast as religious. I don't shrink from that. People ask me, do you worship the Lord? Yes, I do. Do you go to church? Yes, I do. Are you a believer? Yes, I am. That is part of the culture that I live in. It's an affirmative, it's an affirmation that I am part of the holy nation, this peculiar people, this royal priesthood. Now, when it comes to worship, uh, the scriptures make a distinction. Now, listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy. He writes, I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Now, let's unpack this a little bit. In the world, we see applause. You go to a concert, the band plays, the song is over, everybody claps their hands, yay, yay, yay. You see it, you see it in baseball stadiums, football stadiums, you see it with speeches. This is what men do for other men. They applaud them. Applause is not worship. If I applaud a home run hitter, I am not worshiping that guy. I'm just saying bravo, you know, good act or whatever. If, uh, if I'm applauding a band in a concert, I'm saying, yay, I like that song. You know, little kids applaud when they get hot, happy. You know, they start clapping their hands together. But what Paul does here is he, he shows a distinction in the culture. Because there's no real worship in the kingdom of darkness, but there certainly is worship in the kingdom of light. And what do we do? How do we express that worship? Culturally, we lift up our hands in worship. We worship the Lord. We worship his Christ. And so we lift up holy hands. I do not lift up hands for a band in a concert. I do not lift up my hands for a home run hitter or for anybody else on the planet. If the president were to, to visit me, I might applaud him and say, yay, but I'm not going to raise my hands and worship to him because that is exclusive to our culture. That is something that we do and nobody else does. And it's an expression not only of adoration to the Lord, but it's an expression to the other culture, to the, king, to the culture of darkness, that we are this peculiar people. What's another mark of our culture of light? It's prayer. The world doesn't pray. I mean, you might have some guys that, you know, say, Lord, get me out of this and I'll serve you all the rest of my life and all that other junk. But you see, our lives are filled with prayer. Prayer is the communication that we have with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Ghost. Prayer is where we seek the will of him who has sent us, who has remade us. Prayer is where we have communion with him in fulfilling the, the kingdom's mission. Now, let me relate to, 
to use some of the uh, verses about prayer, just so we get an idea of how this is. You know, prayer isn't just petition. In fact, you know, the way that prayer is taught today, it's just, you know, asking God this or that. It's basically coming up with some plans and then asking God to bless those. That is not what we see in Scripture. In Acts 3.1, it says that one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and that is the account where Peter heals the lame man. But listen to what the Scripture says. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. This was something that was part of their lives. Even after they were born again, they had times of prayer. And it was a, quote, public display that they were going out to the house of prayer. They were going up to the temple. In Acts 10.9, it reads this. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. The account says they were getting uh, dinner ready, and Peter just basically says, okay, I'm going to go up and I'm going up on the housetop and I'm going to pray. And you know, nobody thought anything about it. Because why? Because it's endemic to the culture. It's like, okay, Peter's a Christian and he's seeking the will of the Lord. He's seeking the voice of the Lord. And so he's going to go pray and nobody thinks anything about it. Said, okay, we're going to get dinner ready. And it's at the time of prayer, that Peter falls into a trance, and that's where he discovers that the gospel is now going to the Gentiles. And in that vein, you go to Acts 10.30, and it says, And Cornelius, who was a Gentile, not a Jew at the time, said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. Cornelius was praying... And an angel appears to him in prayer. It wasn't the other way around. An angel didn't appear to Cornelius, and then Cornelius started praying. No, it was the culture of being prayerful all the time. And that is part of what we do as Christians. We pray. We don't petition the Lord, give me this, give me this, get me out of this, do this for me. No, we seek what he wants. And you see here with Cornelius, uh, the Lord wanted to baptize the, uh, the Gentiles in the Holy Ghost because that's what the account is all about. Let me read to you a couple of verses from uh, Paul. In Romans 1.9, he says, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you in my prayers. Paul's praying all the time. Praying all the time. You know, we read about his travels, his missionary journeys, and people concentrate on that, but actually he's praying all the time during that time. Why? Because that's the mark of the culture. He writes in 1 Thessalonians, telling the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. That means that we have lives of prayer where we are seeking the Lord's will. What do you want us to do now? We are seeking his voice because his voice guides us. Because why? We are a peculiar people. The world isn't looking for that. The kingdom of darkness doesn't look for that because Christ is not the world's Lord. And then writing to Timothy, Paul writes, I thank God 
whom I served from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. How many of us can testify that we have prayers night and day, or that we remember people unceasingly in our prayers night and day? That is the mark of the early church, and it should be the mark of the modern church. Why? Because we're one family. There, there shouldn't be any difference between what happens in the early church and the marks of the culture there and the marks of the modern church today. Now, with prayer, you go back to the early church and you see that they prayed in tongues, unknown tongues. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God, for no man understands him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, I speak in tongues more than you all. That's part of the culture. That's part of the prayer culture that Christians engage in prayer in unknown tongues. And then in 1 Corinthians 14.4, Paul writes, He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. That's part of what the church engaged in in the early days, the early church, and it should be the mark of the culture of our modern church too. Okay. Another item or another mark of the culture of the kingdom is the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper back in the early church wasn't just once every once in a while, you know. It was celebrated often. Now get this. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11.20, When you come together, therefore, in one place... And he criticizes the way that the Corinthians were we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, but here in this verse, he says, when you come together, therefore, in one place. And the context is this. Christians got together. It's almost like a potluck dinner. And they celebrated the Lord's Supper together. 1 Corinthians 11.26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. So the Lord's Supper is kind of like other cultural markings of us, the peculiar people. We celebrate it to celebrate the Lord's death, but we also preach the Lord's death by engaging in this cultural identity as a Christian. It says to the world that we are proclaiming his death, his saving death, and actually his soon coming return. And we do that by engaging in the Lord's Supper. We don't have to engage it just at church. The Corinthians engaged it from house to house. So what they would do is, the context you read 1 Corinthians 11, is that they would come together in one place, somebody's house, and they would, uh, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper, and it was a big festival. It was a big dinner party, actually. They were... Uh, the thing is, they got off track with it. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 put them back on track to say, no, you don't do it this way, you do it this way. But it's still a mark of our cultural identity. What's another one? Another one is the Sabbath. Sabbath's been kind of lost over the years just because we have, 
Well, it's just been lost. It's been lost as a cultural marker of Christians in the modern age. Listen to Hebrews 4.9. The writer of Hebrews says, So then, a Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also cease from their labors as God did from His. Now, when you go back to the story of the Exodus, before the story of the Exodus, you have Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, and they say, let the children of Israel go to the wilderness and worship the, the God of Israel um, there in the wilderness. And Pharaoh says, no way. And he says, no way, because why? He's making them work seven days a week. It's like 24-7. And you read the account in Exodus 5, and Pharaoh says, the only reason why you want to go out to the desert to so-called worship your Lord is because you're lazy. You're lazy, lazy, and now I'm going, to, I'm going to ramp up production. Well, we've got the same kind of thing now. I mean, you know, everything is 24-7. And uh, now, uh, you know, Americans are defined as being consumers instead of workers. Why? Because everything's about production, production to consume. And what we're seeing in the body of Christ now is that the Lord is actively instilling the Sabbath again, the Sabbath as rest, the Sabbath as resistance to what? The culture of darkness that we're living in today as strangers and aliens. And then the last one that we'll cover today is proclaiming the gospel. Listen to what Matthew writes in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. There are a couple things I want us to see in this. I want to emphasize one is, Jesus doesn't say, go therefore and make people have decisions for Christ. Go out and seek decisions for Christ. He doesn't say that. That's part of our uh, watering down, so to speak, part of our marketing speak in the church, where the church tends to go down to the lowest common denominator of trying to get people saved or into the kingdom. And they say, well, just make a decision for Christ. When you go back to Romans, Paul doesn't say make a decision for Christ. He says this. He says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. Well, let's unpack that a minute. One, you believe in your heart that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That means you believe in your heart that he is alive today. A lot of people don't even, you know, they mentally assent that he's resurrected, but they don't think, well, what, wait a minute. Jesus is actually alive. He was born a man, and he was dead, and now he's actually alive, resurrected. He is listening to what I say. He's seeing what I do. And then Paul says, you call him Lord. Why is that? Because you're in another kingdom. You're going from one Lord, the prince of the power of the air, to another Lord, 
Christ Jesus. And the Lord's, like, like we see in, uh, well, like we see in ancient kingdoms, you know, one king's got a culture and the other king has another culture. So you go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of light has a different kind of cultural identity to it. You can't be a peculiar people if you just make a decision for Christ and act like everybody else. No, we are peculiar because there are things that we do in line with the mission of heaven. So Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Not go, go, go you know, make decisions for Christ. No, go make disciples. Why? Bring people in line to the culture. Have their minds transformed to the things that are above, not the things that are below. And then in verse 20, he says, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's part of being a disciple. That's part of the cultural markers uh, or markings of being in the kingdom of light. I said, are you a believer? Yes. So you celebrate the Lord's Supper? Yes, I do. You pray? Yes, I do. You go to church? Yes, I do. So you're religious. Well, no, I'm not. I'm part of another culture. I'm part of a culture that you're not a part of. I do things that you don't do. I pray to the Lord. I worship the Lord. I do the Lord's will. I get together with other, other persons of the family, other family members, and I lift them up. And yes, I proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Those are the things that Christians do day in and day out that should be part of our lives. We pray. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. We do these things not only to glorify the Lord, glorify God in our body, but it's also a witness to the other culture that we are not like them. We might live on the same planet. We might live in the same city, but I am not like you. I don't I don't do the desires of the flesh. I abstain from those. Why? Because I do the will of him who sent me, who had me born again. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Our allegiance is different. And since our allegiance, allegiance is different, what we do in the flesh is different. And what we do in the flesh matters. It matters not only to the Lord, it matters to those who see us, who talk to us, who engage with us. Why? Because we are Christ in the earth. And that's one reason why we have these cultural marks, these cultural identities that we follow through on. We are not designed to be weak Christians or culturally illiterate Christians. We are designed to get in line with what heaven is doing in the earth today, and these are markers of what heaven is doing. So, take stock of what you're doing culturally for the kingdom. It's not just saying a prayer here or devotion there. Get in line with what the scriptures say that you ought to be doing as part of the peculiar people, the holy nation. And actually, your lives will be more blessed. So that concludes the message today. Let me end it with a benediction. This is from number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Thank you and see you next time.